Hi, Flourishing Therapreneurs. I wanted to hop on and share that our course Flourishing in Private Practice is coming spring 2022. If you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that perhaps is either wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss, this course will walk you through all the steps. From the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. This course will be open for enrollment for two weeks in the spring, and then we'll close until the fall for a second round of enrollment. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our mailing list and to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. All right, enjoy the episode and looking forward to continuing to grow and flourish together as therapists and entrepreneurs, as therapreneurs. Let's go. Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. Hi, Tiana, and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. I am so glad you're here. If you want to take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience, I am sure they would love to hear about your experiences and what you do um, in your practice. Hi, Claire. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. And in terms of who I am and what I do, I am in private practice. I've been in private practice for about five years. And my specialty is with highly sensitive people, particularly women in their 20s and 30s, you know, going through transitions, trying to work through all those sort of quarter-life crisis type questions. Um, And, you know, in terms of how I came to get into private practice and my journey, even just getting licensed. I worked in a lot of low-fee clinics um, or a couple of different low-fee clinics in my journey as an intern, um, as well as for a company called AHA, which works with social and emotional development in Santa Barbara with uh, teenagers in particular. And um, yeah, I I love what I do. I've run uh, groups for highly sensitive women in the past. And I'm just starting to get into consulting for other therapists, working on um, money struggles and different things that come up in our practices that can get in the way. 
Awesome. Thank you, Tiana. Um, so for anyone listening, just a little background as well. Tiana is one of like my dearest friends locally. Uh, we met through the clinical journey. We both had the opportunity to serve on a board for local therapists. And um, through that, our friendship was birthed. And um, she's definitely someone that I always reach out to for personal things, but also professional. Um, so I'm really excited that she's here. I feel like she has a wealth of information to share. And the topic today is owning your business, charging a fee you deserve, and working through shame in finances, which I am so excited about because as a therapist, I feel like this is kind of a taboo topic. People don't, in general, like to talk about finances, but in the therapy world especially don't like to talk about finances. So excited to have Tiana share her experiences and just kind of speak into some of these topics. Um, so before we begin, I know you kind of already highlighted a few of your clinical sites and um, your licensing journey, um, but I kind of want to learn a little bit more so that the audience kind of really understands your um, yeah, foundation spots that helped build your private practice. So, and also just to clarify for listeners, um, Tiana's an LMFT. I know some people that come on the podcast are licensed psychologists, so it's helpful to know what license she has. Um, but Tiana, tell us a little bit about your grad school journey. How did you begin looking at clinical sites? What was kind of pulling you towards what? Would love to hear your process. Absolutely. So yeah, so grad school was, um, I had, <laughs> it was a journey even just getting to grad school. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be an LMFT or I wanted to be a PhD or I wanted to be a social worker. I spent like a year, you know, actually in a PhD, pro not in a PhD program, but helping with research assistant stuff in a PhD program to see, is that direct direction for me or do I want to go more down the LMFT route? And what I learned was that I would get more training in terms of how to work with clients more immediately if I was doing the LMFT route. So that's how I chose that, that path. You know, did my, um, my master's, and as I was working through my master's, started thinking about intern sites. And I was always very aware that I am a highly sensitive person myself, and I was concerned that I may kind of burn myself out before I even get going if I went into the, you know, the more intense settings, whether that might be the hospital or like um, you know, there was a place near the school called the Mental Wellness Center that was working with more high intensity um, issues. So I decided to go down more of a private practice type path, um, working for some um, a company or an organization called Community Counseling and Education Center was my first site. And it's a low fee clinic, but it's a private practice type setup in the sense of, you know, you kind of make your own hours, you get to choose um, how many clients you're seeing. You have a lot of, there's a, it's just kind of like a little nest. Like you have a lot of uh, other interns going through it with you. You have super, like a bunch of different supervisors that you can go to. You know, I knew that I was going to get the support that I needed and a lot of clinical experience, which is what I wanted, I knew I wanted to go into private practice kind of from the get-go. So I knew that having that type of model was going to be good for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then later I worked for the Family Therapy Institute, which is kind of a similar model, although more focused on family therapy. Um, and then AHA was like, I need to get some group experience here. I needed to kind of round things out. And also even to kind of, uh, you know, clinical work can feel heavy and it's, it's very deep. And I love that. But also 
you know, it's like, it's nice to balance that out with some, some lightness and teenagers definitely bring that. So aha was helpful in terms of, um, kind of rounding out my experience. Yeah. That's super helpful for anyone listening just to kind of hear your journey. And it sounds like you like one identified who you are. You, you mentioned being an HSP yourself and, um, also kind of recognizing maybe some of your goals for the future. So it sounds like you took steps in congruence with where you imagined you would be, which I'm sure not everyone listening, if they're pre-licensed might not even know yet what they want to do, right? They may not know if they want to do private practice or work in an agency. So maybe they might open themselves up to different, you know, entities, but it sounds like you were actually really purposeful in um, the sites that you chose that really built some of the foundational skills for you with private practice confidence or just kind of um, emulating that, um, that model. Yeah, absolutely. Although if I were to go back and do it again, I probably would have added in a private practice internship, like a true private practice setup, you know, where I'm learning the business side of things as well, because that was definitely a missing piece. You know, it's like I got used to, you know, some aspects of private practice in these sort of pseudo private practice settings, but it wasn't true private practice and I wasn't actually making any money either. So, you know, I wasn't able to start getting used to, this is what my, my time is worth. And this is what it's like to receive the money for that time. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really interesting point because it sounds like there were certain aspects of it that were helpful and built a good foundation, but then there were pieces that were missing because maybe you were working for free or for a very low fee, which that also lays a foundation for your money mindset as a therapist and what that feels like for that exchange of giving and receiving. Um, so I'm wondering, um, what are like maybe positive things that you learned through those experiences in terms of like, how did those prepare you for private practice? And maybe what are things you wish that they had taught you more? Mm, Yeah. Um, well, my, one of my, settings, they did have me do my own consultation calls. And I'm so grateful for that because I know that that's not always the case. It was not the case in one of my settings. Um, So I was really happy once I got into private practice to have already had experience walking a client through, you know, those types of questions that you're asking on a consultation call, stating a fee. Obviously the fee was very different than I was stating then than it was when I was in private practice, but at least being able to sit, you know, talk about money a little bit was good. Um, also in both of those internships, I was the one who was receiving, well, I received the money and then gave it straight to the organization, but at least I was the one asking for the money from the client. You know, that was good practice to, to, be the one collecting the fee. Um, and then of course it was really like, I was surrounded by really experienced people clinically. And that was so helpful. You know, it's, it's always easier to, you know, take on clients that feel like a stretch for you and take risks, you know, when you're in that kind of cocoon where you know that like, literally I remember in one of my sessions, I didn't know what to do. And I ran downstairs and I got my supervisor and brought them upstairs and had them join my session because it just, you know, was that challenging and difficult for me. I didn't know how to handle it. So, um, yeah, figuring out like, where's my kind of growing edge and can I lean into that? And sometimes even lean too far into that, but obviously in private practice, you know, there's no one to bring in as backup. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I feel like that does create a framework of support. That's really nourishing, especially as an, 
you know, trainee or associate or intern where you're still learning and you're still failing and making mistakes and to have someone even literally knock on their door and ask them, Hey, can you join my session? Or after the session's over, ask them a question to really clarify your interventions or your, you know, treatment plan. That's super valuable. Um, but it sounds like when we kind of bring it back to the financial piece, it sounds like there's a piece that maybe was sort of missing, even though you did learn skills in terms of you got to name the fee when you did those consultations as kind of a practice um, before you did a private practice. And then also um, collecting the money, because that can be an awkward exchange to be like, okay, the session's over, give me the money. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about like, what were some of the challenges or what were some of the the maybe like lessons that we could unlearn from that, that season of that money process of what you would hope if you were listening to this right now that you could learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I would have loved if someone had told me like, yes, this is the setup that you're in right now where your clients might be paying you $0. They might be paying you $5. They might be paying you $25, but this has no reflection on your worth as a therapist, on the work that you're doing, like really helping me kind of separate, detach what was happening in the financial side of things and the the therapy that I was giving. And I mean, you're doing like 3,000 hours, right, of these types of sessions. And so it's almost, I would imagine it's almost impossible, even if you had a ton of reflecting back this type of message, it'd be hard for this not to seep into you in some way. Um, but it would be, it would have been nice to have more uh, discussion of, okay, this, this is the world that we are in right now as a, as a industry. And we have this is the norm. When you're working on your hours, most of the time you're not getting paid much or you're not getting paid at all. But, you know, helping you to understand that that is not a reflection of you or your therapy. That's so powerful. Yeah. And I think it's easy for it to be internalized. I mean, how could it not? Like you said, there's 3000 hours that kind of remind you of something and, you know, it might be low cost to them, which is such a gift. And it's awesome that we have, um, companies and nonprofits out there that do that. And what does it feel like to receive that, to be the person that's holding maybe these really hard cases, um, that maybe are impacting your own mental health or are sacrificing your own time, whether that is working earlier or later than you really wanted to, because it's a time slot that the nonprofit wants you to work or whether it's, you know, working with clients that maybe leave you needing to take care of yourself better after, or, um, you know, impact you not even just because you're not getting paid what you maybe deserve, but also there is a, a weight to it, whether that's a financial weight or an emotional weight. So, um, yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, um, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, um, but what would you kind of say in terms of, um, your own money narrative that you might have or your own experiences? Like, how do you feel like that has impacted you, whether in the pre-licensed phase or maybe even now as a, a licensed therapist in private practice, like your own money mindset um, processes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I come from a family with a dad who I would call somewhat of a workaholic, you know, definitely an overworker. So I think that 
there is a tendency in me to do that as well because of that. And I think that that absolutely plays into, you know, my money story of like, if I'm not really working really, really hard, then I'm not going to be getting money or I shouldn't be getting money. That that there's some sort of tie that goes together with working hard and money for me. And so that's something I have to be really mindful within myself. I have to continue to be really mindful within myself of, um, I don't know what else in terms of my own money story. Um, I definitely know that my, my comfort zone is more in terms of giving than receiving. Mm. And so that is a money story that definitely plays in, in my business, you know, where it's like, it especially in the beginning, it was much easier for me to say yes. For example, when a client asked for sliding scale, whether or not that actually fit with my business, because that is who I knew myself to be the giver, the one who was generous, who just wants to kind of help and make it work and accommodate myself to other people. And so that's definitely something I have to watch in myself and making sure that there's this even balance between, you know, what I'm giving in terms of my heart and my, you know, all of the clinical skills that I'm bringing to my work. And then what I'm receiving in terms of, you know, the monetary rewards, as well as obviously we know that, that as therapists, there's far more rewards than just the monetary rewards, but the monetary reward rewards are important to stay on top of, you know, like you can't be paid in thank yous and this person changed alone. <laughs> we actually are in this, it's a business and we have to make it be sustainable for us for the, the present and for the future. You know, truly like if we're not really having a practice that's, you know, thriving financially, we're going to be maybe working farther into our old age than we want to, or maybe even can. Yeah. Yeah. Or it also might stunt your growth. It might make you make poor financial decisions that make you have to quit private practice or get another job or get into debt or whatever that could be. Um, but I really like what you you kind of spoken to a few different things. I like the piece that you said about reflecting on your own upbringing and like recognizing the models that you've had in your life around money or even just around work and what that work ethic looks like and what the standard is and kind of the expectation. Cause that does really resonate. Cause I think a lot of people can reflect on um, different lived experiences, whether that's parents or, you know, anyone else that's influential in their life. Um, but I also really like the piece that you were talking about too, of like really questioning, you know, and really understanding when you do a sliding scale versus when you don't. And I think a lot of that is what you were speaking into of, you know, having a business model. And you talked about your personality being a giver and, um, you know, you tend to give more than you receive, which I imagine is a strength to a certain extent as a therapist, because that's a great skill set as a therapist, right. To, to give space, to hold space, to be really open to others and, um, you know, wanting the best for them. But I'm almost wondering, cause what you're sharing about like the business model versus, um, you know, maybe self-abandoning and giving too much to your clients or reducing your fee when it doesn't make sense for you, because, I almost feel like when you were talking about that, it kind of reminded me of like the, the rules of business are different almost than the rules of therapy. Like they almost, they almost preach different messages and different, um, expectations. And so I think, especially, I don't know if you feel this way, but I know for me as a therapist and when, as a newly licensed therapist, feeling like that feeling of, I don't want to make mistakes and I want to, to do it the way the therapist should do it. 
But then as you grow your business, you realize, oh my gosh, like the business model, it makes me feel bad as a therapist. Cause I feel like, am I being a selfish therapist? Am I being, um, you know, like, is my focus too money driven or is it too goal oriented where I should be more, how can I impact more people for a lower fee? But that actually doesn't align with like me taking care of myself, me taking care of my family, me taking care of my future that actually like self-abandons that and actually sets it up to fail. So I wonder, cause I feel like you had a lot of juiciness in that. And, um, yeah, I would love to hear more of your thoughts versus like the business model versus nonprofit model versus business model versus therapist model. Cause I think there's really something relatable there. I completely agree, Claire. So yeah, this conflict that you're talking about that I think, I think most therapists in private practice do feel that tension between the therapy model and the business model. And also where most of us are extremely ill-equipped in terms of, you know, what even is a business model? Like what are those rules that we're operating under as business owners? You know, we don't get, at least in my, my program, we didn't get any, you know, even mention of the, what those rules might be or what guidelines we might want to be following as business owners. So, you know, it's like there's this conflict, but also there's this big gap between what we should be knowing and what we actually know or have learned. And like for myself, I had to go out and seek that knowledge. And I still, you know, I would love to have even more knowledge within the business model. But, you know, that said, that tension I think as therapists, it's all about the client, right? You know, every, every piece that we're looking at, it's like, okay, what is the client bringing to us? How is that showing up in the room? How do we help them to grow? It's all about the client, truly. You know, and even when our own stuff comes up, the counter-transference comes up, it's like, okay, okay, go take that to your own therapist or to your supervisor and work through that because, like, you know, the important thing is that it doesn't get in the way. It's not like, okay, that's really interesting that that's coming up. That's juicy stuff for you. Let's go figure out how to, how to work with that. Um, it's more like, oh, this is a bad thing. Get rid of it. Um, so yeah, it's client oriented. Whereas the business, it's like the, a business should be business oriented, right? Like the, I think of or I like, I like to try to think of, I don't always do it, but as myself, as the number one client in my practice, and then my business is the number two client, then everything has to come from there. Whereas I don't think that the therapy model would tell you to think of it that way. Mm, That's so powerful. And also like so conflicting, right? As a therapist, because that it feels selfish or it feels like, I don't know, it contradicts maybe some of the things like you've learned and I don't know what everyone's experience is that's listening, but like, I know for me in grad school and through some of my clinical sites, I, there was this almost martyr like syndrome of like, you need to sacrifice, you need to do the best for the client, but it really does like, it doesn't help the clients, a disservice to our clients when we flex our rates to a rate that actually means that we're not making any income. We're not covering our rent. We're not covering the things that we need to do to, to sustain ourselves. Um, it's actually a disservice to our clients. And also it builds resentment. It builds like all these different pieces that we could spend a whole other episode talking about. But, um, but yeah, I really appreciate just your perspective and kind of these pieces that you're highlighting because it is, um, a very confusing journey, especially as someone that's in private practice, because there aren't a lot of resources out there that really teach, 
a, um, a therapy model that's also business model oriented that doesn't have shame filled, um, sentiments. Like, I feel like there's a lot of things I'm trying to consciously unlearn from grad school or some of my clinical sites where it's like, I don't think this narrative is actually helpful for me as a business owner or even as a therapist. Like, I think there are, we are in a different time with therapy where it's evolving and changing and it's modernizing and it isn't just talking about self-care, it's living self-care. And that is also in your private practice. It's in your business model. It's, um, taking financially literate decisions to protect yourself, to help you flourish and, um, also, you know, get paid a fee that you deserve, that you have student debt, you're still paying off that you have, you know, beyond the qualification and like the hypocrisy. I think we've talked about this before, like other professions, doctors, you know, other things very rarely do they have people say, Oh, you, you know, flex the fee for me, you know, can you give me a sliding scale spot or, you know, things like that. So there's a lot that's still changing in our field. So I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah. I mean, we are the, I think we're the lowest paid uh, master's degree. And I think part of that is our profession and kind of the culture of it. And also we play into that, you know, it's like, we're kind of being complicit in it when we are flexing our fee more than we actually can. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, as we kind of transition, if you could kind of share a little bit about, and I know there are legalities and ethics around stating your fee and like all those kind of pieces. So whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but maybe walk us through, like if someone's listening and they're about to launch a private practice, or maybe they currently have one, but don't love their fee. Are there any philosophies or thought processes that have helped you charge a fee that you deserve or really create a sustainable thought process around what is my fee and how do I calculate that? Or what do I think of when I'm setting a fee? Um, I'd love to kind of learn from your experiences. Yeah. Well, it's certainly evolved over time. I mean, my first fee was set simply because my mentor at the time said, this is what you should charge. And I said, okay, then that's what I'll charge. Um, but now I like to start with the numbers, you know, really looking at like, what are my financial needs and desires and goals, you know, and what is it that I need to be earning in order to, you know, to have this feel like a career and a job that I want to stay in for a really long time. You know, it's like my business employs me, and if I put on my hat as the business owner, it's like I'm thinking about how can I retain this employee? Mm-hmm. How can I make this this pay package attractive enough so that she wants to stay here forever? <laughs> um, and so I like to start with the numbers and looking at what do, what do I actually need and what do I actually want in my practice? And I know it can bring up even like a little bit of shame t- sometimes to think about what do I want, you know, beyond just, okay, what can I get by on? What do I want? Um, so looking at that, looking at, okay, how many weeks a year do I actually want to work? I'm someone who needs a lot of time off to be completely transparent. I need a lot of time off to take care of just my mental health, to take care of enjoying my life. You know, I, I like to have a lot of time off. <laughs> um, so figure out how many weeks a year do I want to work? How many clients per week on average do I want to see? Um, so just taking all of those sort of parameters into consideration and then going, okay, based on that, what does my average fee need to be? And so, you know, when I'm talking, when I'm saying average fee, that's, that's, um, kind of providing a little bit of that, that, um, assumption that there's going to be some people at full fee 
and there's going to be some people at a sliding scale fee. Um, and so, you know, if I slide for this many people, what does my full fee need to be in order to keep that average where I want it? And so I like to, I like to make sure that I'm being very kind of structured in terms of how many people are in that sliding scale range. Um, if I were to start my practice over again, you know, I would, I would make sure that I was being extremely diligent about that because in terms of my own journey, I took on probably more sliding scale fee people than was right for me in the beginning. And so it's like, I don't even now in my practice, I don't even really have the luxury to take on new sliding scale people. It's like, I've already brought them in and, you know, maybe once, once they graduate out, then I can, then I can bring on someone new in sliding scale, or maybe I won't, you know, that there's other ways to give back in this profession besides sliding fee. So. Um, totally. Can I chime in for a second? Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like, yeah, I love hearing the way that you calculate. My model is very similar. Um, but what I really like too, is just like that piece that you're speaking into of like, really, it sounds like once you get clear on your business game plan, once you get clear on your financials, you'll know how many spots, if you choose to do sliding scale, which I love that you're even highlighting that as like, let's talk about that. You know, where does this thought process come from? How do you give back all of that? But maybe it's setting, okay, I'm, I have two sliding scale fee spots and they're always at this time of day. Cause I know that I don't typically get clients at that time of day. So it actually makes sense for me to give them a slot. That's not going to be as um, lucrative versus my noon noon slot where everyone wants to have a lunch break therapy session, you know? So really even looking at the parameters of what the business model is that you're building, um, is so helpful. So I like that you mentioned that. And I also fully agree that, um, there's more than one way to do the sliding scale, um, philosophy. And I, I really do believe in the philosophy of really wanting to reach more people and, um, provide more mental health support. But I agree. It doesn't have to always be, um, an actual physical sliding scale spot. In fact, like whether it's volunteering, like I often feel like, okay, I volunteer so much on the board that I'm on for therapists or other entities that I do. And so I'm giving back to the clinical community, to the mental health community constantly in different ways. Um, but also like that piece as well of like, I think it's really almost dangerous and foolish to have sliding scale if you're not even meeting your basic needs. So kind of like what you said as you reflected on, okay, maybe I said yes to too many at first because you were maybe wanting to fill your caseload, which makes so much sense. Um, but there's that piece too of, you know, if you have too many sliding scale spots, you're not actually in compliance with a business model. You're in a nonprofit model or in a, um, a model that isn't actually um, sustainable when you're self-employed or you are, um, giving of yourself, not just financially, but emotionally. And the toll that that takes, it kind of brings me back to what you said at the beginning of that exchange piece when you were doing your clinical hours of, you know, working for a really low fee. And yes, it feels really good to give back. It feels good to meet the goal of getting licensed, but it doesn't feel good to not receive what you should be compensated for, or even just that piece that you take away of like, uh, I don't enjoy this because I feel like I am giving too much and we already give so much as clinicians. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm loving what you're sharing. <laughs> it really resonates. Yeah. We really do give a lot as clinicians. I think it's kind of, it's almost funny that there is such an emphasis of like that you've got to give back in some way on top of your job. It's like, 
the truth is your job is a giving job. You know, we're already giving so much to our full fee clients. You know, you don't have to have a sliding scale client to be giving back. This job is a giving back profession. So, you know, to kind of, I don't know, help, help clinicians to maybe even just start recognizing the ways in which they're already being contributors to society. Yeah, totally. And I think there's also that piece too of like, and I think we've kind of spoken into this a bit, but there seems to be like this systemic model that's been passed down from different generations of the value of therapy or mental health or what, you know, what is normal in terms of you, you need to work for free. Every other generation's work for free to get their license where it maybe it hasn't modernized quite yet in terms of if you compare that to, like I said before, a doctor or other things where, you know, after a certain point, they are making a really lucrative income. It's not maybe what they would actually fully make, but they're still getting compensated for their education, for the student debt, for the, the giving that they are also doing. Um, and so, yeah, I feel very invigorated by this conversation because I feel like these types of conversations is what helps change this narrative and change the system and remind people of their worth, remind people that it's not selfish to, to make an income. Like you chose this career probably because you love people and want to help them, but you also chose it as a career, which is supposed to support you. And, um, that's not selfish. Um, yeah. And it's like mind blowing to me that we like work for free and then we're still told, Oh, you haven't given enough. You've done 3000 hours for free. And, you know, seeing the worst of the worst clients and had to do like all the hardest things. And yet you still need to sacrifice and give and give. It's like a very curious philosophy. And I think with everything, it's so important to question, like, does this align with me or am I just inheriting someone else's belief system? Um, and also just like, how can we improve our, our field? And I think that's an important thing to always be thinking of. How can I help set the path for future generations of therapists to succeed and to not burn out and to love what they do and to, to do it well? Well, before we wrap up, absolutely. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, um, I wanted to kind of tap into You said this earlier, um, before we started recording and it just, it really resonated. You mentioned being a good therapist versus a greedy therapist and how maybe different rates of a session or, philosophies kind of can make you feel a certain way and make you um, question, am I a good therapist or am I a greedy therapist? So could you share a little bit of that with the audience? Cause I feel like that's very juicy and really relatable. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of therapists probably have, whether they're even aware of it or not, some sort of set point where they have a range that feels like, Oh, that's what a good therapist would charge. Like good being in quotes. And probably even below a certain point, you know, oh, that therapist maybe isn't good enough. And then beyond that, that sweet spot of, oh, that's what good therapists charge. I think that we can have judgments around what that means if someone charges more than a certain amount, or what if we charge more than a certain amount. I think it's so interesting to like listen to our own reactions when we hear about a therapist charging a certain number, you know, maybe something that's higher than we charge and whether we go into, you know, some type of um, assumption about what that means about them. Maybe it mean maybe we're thinking that means that they're greedy or maybe we think it would mean we would be greedy if we were charging that number. Um, and the shame that can come with that. And instead of looking at, okay, well, 
you know, what are my financial needs and desires and what actually is a fee that works? And maybe that number is in that range, you know, beyond what I, what I believe a, a good therapist would charge and how can I charge it anyway and let go of any, you know, self-criticism around, oh, this means that I'm greedy or money hungry or just in it for the money, those kind of things and go, okay, this is just the reality of we live in a society where we need money for, to do things and to live. And, you know, this is the, the amount of money that I'm needing. And this is the amount of clients that I want to have in order so I don't burn out and I can continue to do really good work with, you know, like the, my last client of the week is getting the same level of care as my first client of the week kind of care. Um, and so, yeah, that those assumptions that we can make about others and ourselves in terms of, you know, more premium prices, I think, are really important to look at. Yeah, definitely. I fully agree. Well, thank you, Tiana. Um, as we wrap up, I mean, this conversation has been so rich, not without trying to have the pun of rich, but <laughs> it, um, it really has. I feel like I've learned so much and I feel like this is something we could keep talking about. That's always evolving, always changing, always growing as our values grow and change. And as we grow in our confidence and our business models expand, um, I'm wondering for anyone listening though, if you could share, how can they connect with you? Is there a way that they maybe want to reach out or learn more from you? What can they expect in the future? Are you working on any projects and just a way for them to, to connect? Um, and I will plug that in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on my website, www.tianaleads.com. You can also find me on social media at the Tiana Leads. Um, and I'm also, I am working on a course for therapists in terms of the money blocks that can get in the way in our practice. So that is going, I'm going to be opening it up for the founding members very soon. You can contact me via my website if you're interested in that. And also I do have a free guide for you in terms of of the fee that you're talking about in your consultation sessions and how, you know, the way you present that in your consultation sessions can be, you know, what helps you either get that ideal client or accidentally say yes to someone who is either at the wrong fee or it's not quite as, you know, uh, cohesive of a fit for you. So you can get that. Let me just pull up the website. So you can get that at bit.ly slash five money blocks, spelling out five. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tiana. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate the colleague that you are. And also am just really grateful to be learning from you too. I feel like everything you listed about that course, I'm like, sign me up. Like I, like I always need to grow and learn. And I just appreciate what you have to share with our community. So thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. You are inspiring, Claire, and a beautiful friend. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.